0: Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran.
1: A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. You're a doc,
2: you've studied this, you've talked to the researchers, you're saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who
1: taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recommendations. No wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot?
2: All right, good morning. You are listening to The Cannabis Hour, a biweekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. I'm your host, Jen Prokacchi. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us this morning. On today's episode of the Cannabis Hour, we have a very informative and one might say historical policy update for you. We have Michael Katz, the Executive Director of the Cannabis Alliance, joining us here this morning, as well as Janine Coleman from the Origins Council. And we're going to be giving you an update on AB 1111, which is a direct-to-consumer bill, Um, We are going to be giving you an update on the status of the cannabis tax relief in Mendocino County. And we are also announcing that effective on Tuesday during the Board of Supervisors meeting, Krista Nevedal, the director of the Mendocino County Cannabis Department, has resigned. So that would be, I think, number six. The sixth director of this department or administrator of this department in six years is now gone. So Michael and Janine, would you both like to say good morning here?
0: Good morning, Jen. Thank you so much for having us on. Really looking forward to the conversation.
1: Yes, thanks, Jen. Great to be here.
2: Thank you. Thank you both for joining us. All right, Michael, do you have anything to say in comment to the resignation
1: of Director Kristen Nevidal? Yeah, thanks, Jen. So obviously, big news. Um, As you know, as we've discussed here on the show before, MCA has been calling for urgent action to resolve the significant issues with the local permitting process and grant administration and just generally address the obstruction from within the departmental leadership. Uh, In the letter that we had shared with the governor and Director Elliott that we discussed on the show, you know, when you laid out all of those different things, it was, we said in the letter, it's hard to say that it didn't feel like there was something behind it. But the board of supervisors has made clear that their intention is to, you know, really continue working to keep as many people in the program as possible. And uh, that shift in tone has led to some really exciting, comprehensive changes uh, to the local tax program that we're going to be discussing, obviously, and clarification on the VEGMOD tree removal prohibitions that are going to free up the people, hopefully, that have been in that purgatory. So, you know, this is all part of what feels like an ongoing effort by the local government, uh, the board, to really get the program on track. And so, You know, globally, we're cautiously optimistic and encouraged by the significant effort and the resources that are going into addressing the challenges that we have identified. Uh, And so I think that this is really just this entire situation uh, creates an opportunity to really dig in and streamline and do all the things that we've been talking about uh, in conjunction with the county and with the state. So, you know, we're choosing to see this as an opportunity to move forward uh, and significantly uh, appreciate the board's uh, adoption of the, the measures yesterday to, to really, our measures on Tuesday to really move these things forward.
2: Thank you, Michael. That is an excellent summary of that situation. I'm wondering if there was any indication from the board who might step in to fill that role um, as the director of the cannabis department, or what kind of timeline they might be looking at for finding someone to take over. Sure. Well,
1: right now, uh, to our understanding, uh, a gentleman by the name of John Burks, who has been the head of the code enforcement department has been uh, working in the department uh, kind of integrated there. And so my understanding is that he is kind of uh, managing this transition. Uh, I've, I only had limited experiences with him, but my experiences with him have been positive. And it's been communicated to me that he's generally known as a really good systems person and uh, compliance focused as opposed to punishment focused. And so, you know, we're certainly hopeful that his engagement and the engagement from the CEO's office, it really sounds like it's an all hands on deck kind of situation to address these issues. We're grateful to the treasurer tax collector uh, office as well for working with supervisor Mulhern to create a, a situation where the tax reform option was possible. So uh, it does feel uh, for the first time in a long time that we're headed towards this new uh, you know, opportunity to really collaborate and hopefully constructively move cannabis forward in Mendocino County.
2: That's right. It's a new day. It's important to remember that and stay positive. And on that note, will you give us an update on what is going
1: on with the proposed cannabis tax reform? Sure. Well, the good news uh, is that it's no longer proposed. It has been fully adopted. It was adopted on Tuesday by a three to two vote. So, you know, Close as it gets. Uh, Supervisors McGordy, Mulhern, and Hashcheck voting in favor. Supervisors Williams and Journey opposed. Um, And I want to, you know, we're going to identify this. Which obviously, tax reform is an incredibly important thing and something that's very necessary for everybody who's in the space. And we'll get into that a little bit. Um, But it is also important to recognize that this victory, while it is that, is also. It's still not going to help necessarily the people who have fallen behind, the people who uh, you know who've already had to leave the program because of how challenging it is. It also it doesn't provide solutions uh, for people who have paid their taxes. Uh, it is really a kind of crisis level program part of it, and then part of it is uh, a program that really helps the entire regulated uh, community here move forward. so, the, the first component is a waiving of the penalties and interests on taxes uh, that have been back owed since 2018 through 2021. So the tax structure uh, in Mendocino has been incredibly punitive uh, with penalties that far exceed penalties in any other area. So often uh, after just a little bit of time has elapsed, it's possible for uh, penalties on taxes to balloon up to 50 percent of the tax bill owed uh, in just a very short period of time. And so that is obviously uh, good to see all of that punitive uh, penalties be removed from the back taxes that are owed. Um, then there is the opportunity for people who do have back taxes owed to enter into a payment plan, where they can come in uh, prior to true up uh, or with the true up for 2022 and pay 25% of their back taxes that are owed, and that 25% payment will put them into uh, back into the good graces, reprioritized get their applications back in the queue for processing. Uh, And so we are still waiting to find out exactly what that mechanism is gonna be, uh, or if there will be a mechanism rather, that people can uh, make clear that they're going to participate in this program before it actually opens for accessibility because the tax collector can't actually collect that 25% until the end of May, uh, or at the end of April at the earliest. And so um, we are still in this situation where, you know, up to this point, folks that are still in the deprioritized list uh, have been in danger of not being reviewed. Now, we don't know at this point, since this all just happened yesterday, uh, what impacts all of this will have on, say, the deprioritization program uh, in general. Um, but we expect that the County is gonna be working on these questions. We expect to be working with them uh, and hope to be able to provide more information soon. And MCA will be hosting a tax reform webinar uh, to inform everybody about what those processes are and uh, share that information as widely as possible. Uh, And just so everybody is aware, uh, you know, these, as I said, this uh, requires folks to still be current with their 2022 taxes. So this, these two components that we just talked about, the payment plan and the interest and penalty waiver, that's from 2018 to 2021, everyone still is going to be asked to pay their 2022 taxes. Uh, and then moving forward, the 2023 and 2024 tax years for those years, the minimum tax will be reduced by 50%. And uh, that is something, obviously, that will benefit everybody. Uh, It was unfortunate that they were unable to integrate 2022 into that reduction. Uh, But because we're so far into the tax year, it's just about to wrap up, actually, uh, we were unable to, uh, that they were unable to make that happen. So uh, with that, it's important for people to know that their 2022 taxes can still be paid if they're equity operators with the tax and fee waiver program. So that's very good news for those folks, uh, because even though direct grant processing and for now, eligibility processing have paused, uh, that fee and tax waiver program is still active. So that uh, tax burden will be able to be addressed for those folks through that program. Uh, and so that's really kind of the the big picture uh, of all of the different tax uh, reform components. And uh, we're definitely grateful, as I said, to Supervisor Mulhern for really working this through the system in a very short period of time. Uh, you know, it came before the General Government Committee on March 14th, and it was adopted on the 28th, and uh, that's really fast. So. I really feel like it's indicative of a drive to really now address the issues on the ground. And uh, we hope to see more of this quick action moving forward.
2: Wonderful, Michael, that is all excellent information that is so important for our licensed operators and their community members in Mendocino County to have. I do have one more question for you before we move over to talking about AB 1111. And that is, how do you anticipate this changeover in the cannabis department leadership
1: to possibly affect the LEAP equity brand program? That's a great question. I would say that it was clear from the conversations that were happening uh, at the general government committee that supervisors hash check. Uh, and Mulhern were very focused on wanting to see the eligibility component of the equity program uh, re-engaged to have people continue to be able to be designated as eligible. Uh, And so the real question as they are evaluating how to move forward uh, with the organization uh, and systems and operations of the department now, how they will be able to fit that in. Um, So we do know that there are folks now that will be working from the CEO's office. Um, and so, you know, there are people who have kind of experience in the different systems that are already within the county. So, hopefully, that will be a question that can be answered very soon.
2: All right. Wonderful, Michael. Okay, Janine. Janine Coleman, founder of the Origins Council, is here with us today. And she is going to be discussing AB 1111 which is a direct-to-consumer bill, and telling us all about that and what's going on currently with it. Janine, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks, Jen. I'm doing well. Um, Really appreciate you having us on the show. And um, I just wanted to offer um, some accolades before we start talking about state policy and really acknowledge the powerful work, Um, Michael, that you've been doing in MCA. I think that the letter that was put forward and crafted to the state and and detailing the experiences we're having here on the ground um, and seeing subsequent motion and political will move forward um, and this collaborative energy um, with the county and the industry is really really encouraging Um, seeing the state get involved in the conversation and really bridge the understanding that needs to be really robustly fleshed out about implementation at a jurisdictional level with respect to the overall state licensing and and regulatory framework. Really critical work, um, I think, ahead of us and really encouraged to see um, this this collaborative energy moving forward um, and seeing things Really advanced, so I just really wanted to acknowledge that work um, and express my appreciation um, for everything that you're doing.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Janine. The appreciation is certainly mutual, and you know personally, but you have been such a mentor and supporter to me uh, as I've been in this role. So there's a lot of love on the radio right now, uh, and I sincerely appreciate it. And I I do want to address that in to let everybody know that as I said before, you know, while we have these victories, they're not, it's, it, you know, there are still many people who have been left behind. And I want you all to know like, that the reality is that all of this community is in our hearts and in our efforts with everything we do. And while the political system is imperfect and often unfair, um, we are working together as a community to create the most positive change we can, given the very complicated environments that we're in. And we will continue to do that. And nobody's uh, struggles are forgotten uh, as we move these things forward. It's just a question of what we can approach and when. And so we are, you know, we, we really send our love and respect Uh, to the entire cannabis community, the folks who have struggled, the folks who've had to step out of the regulated market. What we're trying to do is create a better environment on the ground so that everyone who wants to can participate without these barriers uh that have been in place. And so, you know, that's constantly in our minds. Uh, and so when we talk about these victories and we're celebrating these wins, you know, in the long scheme of things, there they're battles along the way, um, but we have not forgotten uh, the folks that are not going to be supported by these victories and we're going to still keep fighting for what they need as well.
2: Right on. You are both wonderful people who have contributed so much to this community and I extend my deepest gratitude and thanks to both of you. And thank you again so much for always making the time to come on the Cannabis Hour as well and keep the community updated with all of this incredibly invaluable information. All right, Janine, what is going on with AB 1111?
0: Yeah, we're really excited to be sponsoring this measure. Um, We are working with Assemblymember Gail Pellerin. um, And Assemblymember Pellerin represents Assembly District 28, um, which includes the Santa Cruz community, um, which we're really excited to share with everyone that we're expanding our membership and we're including um, businesses from the legacy producing community Um, and the rich heritage of Santa Cruz um, and all the way down to SLO. And so with our expansion and representation and membership um, and culture, we have the opportunity to expand our political representation at the Capitol. And so we're really excited to work with Assemblymember Pellerin and the community of Santa Cruz to advance this measure. Um, AB 1111, I love the number. I, I thought that was a, a wonderful assignment. I was so happy to see that when we um, heard the news that that was the number for the bill. It's
2: pretty cosmic. Um, it is a uh,
0: 2023 iteration of the legislation that we worked on last year um, with Assemblymember Wood, AB 2691, and so it proposes direct-to-consumer marketing and sales opportunities for small producers at licensed cannabis events. Um, And so that's the the overall framework of the bill. Um, And, you know, I think we, as a community, have been really looking at this advocacy for direct-to-consumer engagement, sales, uh, educational opportunities, agritourism development, all the many opportunities that come with Direct-to-consumer sales is really an integral part of our craft production model um, and something that we know works quite well for small craft producers in other industries like wine and beer and, and food. Um, you know, the opportunity for farmers in our community to really engage directly with the community of a long-standing kind of backbone of of rural economies and particularly economies that also have a um, tourism and destination tourism, um, you know, through thread in their economy and opportunity. And um, Mendocino County, of course, is an amazing destination. And um, this is a really foundational tool to really develop our local agritourism economy, strengthen our small farming base, and really celebrate, um, you know, reuniting the small producer, craft producer with the consumer and patient base. Um, This is a bit of a reconnecting of our our legacy uh, supply chain, if you will, and wellness chain, right? Because there was an intimate relationship built over two decades of, um, you know, supported, legally um, sanctioned, um, engagement right between uh, medical cannabis producers and patients and a lot of really specific and powerful medicine came out of that strain specific terroir specific I think we'll find you know decades down the line when you have the research to really you know understand the potentiation of cannabis based on place and so we've lost so much um, with the siloed supply chain that we have under our current state framework. And so this is a really um, critical tool and um, one that we see other industries working on for decades to really perfect for their small craft producers. So we're really excited to advance this legislation this year. Um, And uh, yeah, I'll I'll pause there.
2: Thank you, Janine. Where do we currently stand with the bill? Where is it currently in the movement towards being adopted?
0: Sure. Um, We have a little bit of a later start to the legislative season this year. We see um, a lot of cannabis bills being introduced this year, really substantive um, pieces of legislation. And uh, we're just heading to our first committee for AB 1111. That committee hearing will be on April 11th. Um, Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Get (laughs) out of
1: here. Really? (laughs) It's meant yeah. to be, you guys.
0: It is wow. meant to be. What
1: time is the hearing? Is it at eleven? Will we <laughs> be at? Will eleven eleven happen during the hearing? Because come on. I
0: mean, you know, <laughs> I, I've been feeling happy lately, so we'll we'll see. Um Whoa. So we'll be in front of the Assembly Business and Professions Committee. Um, so really look forward to having those conversations. Um, yeah. So we've got a couple of weeks leading up to to the hearing and we're having our member meeting um, on Monday, this coming Monday from 1 to 2.30. So we'll talk about the legislation and a couple of other pieces of legislation that we're really prioritizing. Um, And so it's a great time for community engagement. We've been reaching out to our coalition of last year. We had 40 organizations step forward and support the measure that assembly member would put forward. And it was really a coalition based um, in small producers, legacy producers, uh, compassionate care organizations, veterans organizations, social equity groups, um, small business, you know, was the the overarching, I think, um, really culture, uh, reconnecting the legacy supply chain, as I referenced before, and really considering the needs and, and value of the consumer and the patient in the conversation. Um, we're excited to have that coalition growing um, and really expanding broadly across the supply chain and kind of across all scales and, and considerations and a lot of support from the retail community. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really excited to be in this phase. This is where the magic happens and the Coalition, you know, comes comes together and and the community's voice is elevated through unity. Um, and again, with our expanded membership, it's also a really exciting opportunity to continue the conversation. You know, it's pretty common for legislation to be a multi year endeavor, um, particularly the, this type of legislation for direct to consumer sales. Um, you know, the alcohol industry, um, wine industry, really led. Um, really initiated this movement, Um, particularly the um, Napa Valley Vintners and the California Wine Institute really initiated their effort um, in 1997 with the Free the Grapes campaign, which is now an organization in its own right. And so they've been, you know, working on this for decades um, and have, you know, moved, moved the needle forward iteratively, because alcohol, much like cannabis coming out of prohibition, really has been navigating um, sort of pro- prohibition-based or control-based regulatory frameworks with respect to particularly sales um, and supply chain, you know, siloing through the three-tier model. So um, it's a journey, and uh, we're, we're excited to be in this ramp up to the first commuter hearing um, coming up on the 11th.
2: Wonderful, Janine. I'm wondering how many times per year would this give the opportunity to cultivators to sell directly to consumers?
0: Sure. Um, so let me start by kind of framing it on how the bill was introduced last year with Assemblymember Wood. It proposed 12 events a year for small producers to participate in. Small producers last year were defined as one acre or less of production. Um, We heard the bill in the Assembly Business and Professions Committee and received some requests for amendments there to narrow from 12 events to eight eight events. And so what we did this year in conversations with the author's office and um, also assembly leadership to really understand and respect how to work with the work of last year, right, and carry the conversation forward based on the input that we received Um, from the community and and from the legislature was to start from that eight day event framework and that amendment that we received in assembly business and professions, and also try to uh, increase some flexibility within that both for an implementation ease and for the opportunity, for example, for our, our small farmers to take advantage of one day events right so to consider the state licensing framework for licensed cannabis events, they can be one to four days, no more than four days. And so what we did is we converted eight events to uh, 32 days. So what the bill proposes at present is the opportunity for small producers. And we also changed and narrowed the, um, scale with respect to who qualifies for this opportunity to retaining um, one acre of outdoor, for outdoor producers to qualify, half an acre for mixed light uh, tier one to qualify, and then for mixed light tier two and indoor producers, 5,000 square feet. And so those will be the producers that qualify to, take advantage of direct-to-consumer sales at licensed cannabis events for up to 32 days per year. So it it creates that flexibility. Um, There's not a large number of licensed cannabis events happening um, really since the opportunity was really available um, in a a licensed framework um, in 2019. And so that flexibility is really important. And I think it helps our rural communities have more opportunity for small scale, you know, local farmer market type of events um, in county here. So we can, you know, really work with our hospitality sector um, and other aspects of the tourist, uh, tourism industry here to really take advantage of these small local rural one day events.
2: Wonderful, Janine. Thank you for expanding on that for us. It sounds like a fantastic opportunity for our small producers. Michael, do you have anything to add to what Janine has said about AB eleven
1: eleven? Yeah, thanks, Janet. Thank you so much, Janine, for your consistent efforts uh, bringing this to the table. Uh, you know, the the ability to have this being considered again, uh, just the the continuance of the conversation, uh, and this this. Feeling like there's a lot of support for it is just you know a testament to Janine's continued efforts, uh, and we're super grateful. Um, but I wanted to address the actual uh, economic impact because uh, at the board of supervisors meeting yesterday, uh, Supervisor Williams was speaking about. The uh, his interpretation of the condition of the cannabis market and how you know prices are bottoming out and there's no bottom and it's just going to keep going down and there's no opportunity for operators to pr- receive the you know money that they need for their products and I think you know what Janine is pointing out what this direct sales opportunity provides uh, that is is really important for Supervisor Williams and the entire community to realize is that when you have a farmer that selling uh, a jar of product that's an eighth, you know, the equivalent of a bottle of wine to a consumer, um, you know, the when the operator when the producer is able to retain, uh, except for the taxes, uh, the vast majority of that sale, it increases significantly their return. So when they sell a jar to the traditional retail market through the wholesale process. They're going to, you know, at a reasonable price to a consumer, say, if you want it to go out the door, $25, uh, which is very reasonable. Um, then you are going to see maybe 4 to $5 of that come off in taxes. But out of that remaining $20, uh, you know, the retailer is going to be looking generally for maybe $10 to $12 of that. So they're going to be looking for the producer to sell that to them uh, wholesale, maybe $8, maybe less even. Um, and there are a lot of large businesses that are able to do that. But what happens here, if we're able to see our local producers at these various events be able to receive that $20 uh, for their product, then we're looking at you know the basic math. That if you have 128 eighths, which is the general measurement, uh, and you have that at $20 each, uh, that takes you to, quick math, over $2,000 a pound. And so being able to generate uh, uh, this revenue through diversified means is something that every other small producer in agriculture and food and wine and beer now, as Duny was saying, is able to diversify and have those different income streams. And so this really is just creating parity for our local operators while also giving them the opportunity to receive more of the market value of their product which in turn will infuse more money back into our community so it's this is the cycle is really beneficial and it'll also drive additional sales at licensed retail because when consumers meet you jen as a farmer at one of these small events and get your product directly from you and experience that amazing direct connection, uh, and then they go out into the world and they're going to be looking for that everywhere they go and asking for it and making sure that those people know that they should have that. And so, you know, that's how we build uh, and continue to grow the craft market that already exists, but has been stifled. So we really have, uh, we're far ahead of the game in terms of awareness uh, and notoriety uh, in a good way of the quality of product that we bring to the market and so this bill really gives the community an opportunity to to you know receive more back for the work that we're doing and it will benefit everyone
2: Wonderful, Michael. You know, just hearing you and Janine both speak today about these wonderfully positive movements forward that we are making here locally and on a state level. It really has me just feeling so inspired and renewed for this upcoming season. And Janine, I see you have something that you would like to add. Uh, Please go ahead.
0: Well, I'm I'm really grateful to be able to contribute to Inspiring Use of Farmer Jen and um, really appreciate all the work that you do also with this show. It's so critical. Um, I wanted to really add to what Michael was saying. And for folks that might not be fully aware, you know, we have a tremendous challenge in the state because of what's termed local control for cannabis. <clears throat> and that is the opportunity for jurisdictions to ban licensed commercial cannabis activity and notably retail. So the department of cannabis control has a handy dandy map up on their website with um, green zones and red zones, right? And where, where is commercial cannabis activity banned? And for retail, it's, you know, more than half of the state. And so we have, you know, compounding issues with respect to market access, both for producers and most importantly for consumers and patients. And we have a really robust, um, illicit market, and folks have access issues, and they have decreased access, right, since legalization in many respects because of, you know, the outflow of of this regulatory framework. We also struggle in some cases with um, existing licensees really wanting to take advantage of the challenges for competitive licensing to enter into their Um, market base. And so there's a lot of challenges. And one of the things that I wanted to highlight in the bill also is that there's a provision for equity operators, equity cultivators to participate in this opportunity, irrespective of scale. And I think that's really important because we've been working in coalition, you know, with our equity partners in urban jurisdictions and really trying to support their ability to come into licensing and really create more licensed retail opportunities. Um, And so uh, we're also supporting Senator Bradford's SB 51, which really seeks to address some of the issues on the licensing side to really support and incentivize more equity retailers to come forward into licensing. And so part of our coalition um, has really included uh, urban, Equity retailers that are really interested in building values-based and culture-based supply chain relationships um, with the legacy, rural legacy producing community, and so it is very much an opportunity, right, to educate um, the consumer and to do some market development research, right? So as as small batch producers, it can be challenging for retailers to. Um, try new new product lines out that are, you know, small batch and consumers are not aware of it. And so this piece around being able to have that face-to-face interaction and support the consumer in trying a new product, a specialty small batch product, really supports the retailers in being able to bring our products onto their shelves. And as Michael said, you know, when we have these events, and you start to develop that consumer loyalty, right, um, you have the opportunity to point to your supply chain partners, to retail partners, right, in their homes, in in urban areas, wherever our tourists tourists are coming from, right, in other parts of California. Um, And so it really is an all-ships-rise model, and it very much is about, normalizing the supply chain and diversifying it into what a mature uh, regulated supply chain will look like for California cannabis. Um, and so I just really wanted to put it in context in terms of you know, the contribution of the bill and the intention of the policy um, to really benefit the entire supply chain um, you know, of California and beyond.
2: All right. Thank you, Janine, so much for that additional information there. That is a wonderful summary of what's going on with AB 1111. And yes, I agree absolutely that it is an opportunity for farmers and retail partners to support one another. And I love how you explained that to us. Is there anything else that's on the Origins Council's radar that you would like to bring to the attention of our listeners today?
0: Sure. Yeah, I'd love to suggest if folks didn't have an opportunity to to check out um, the Senate Business and Professions Committee held an oversight hearing on March 13th. um, And I had the honor of of being a participant in the hearing. Um, There were a number of panels. I participated in the first panel along with my colleagues and um, the other state active um, advocacy organizations, and we were really looking at licensing um, in our panel. Additionally, we had a panel from local and state government, also very focused on the license framework um, and implementation locally. Um, There was an equity panel that was an incredible discussion, really powerful, really recommend everyone watches this when they have a chance, and um, you can find that on the Senate media page. And if you go to that hearing for March 13th, you'll see the recording. And then the last panel had to do with um, the organizations that are um, in Proposition 64 designated the categories of funding um, for research, uh, essentially. Um, And that was the, the fourth panel. So it was a really interesting hearing And I think that the Senate did a tremendous job in really framing the conversation um, and bringing forward uh, the presenters that that they did. And my panel in particular was a really um, robust conversation around state licensing, the framework, what's working, what's not working, mostly it's not working. And I really just thought it was of note because there was a chorus really happening with the industry, with spokespersons from the Department of Cannabis Control, local governments, and the senators with respect to the challenges that the license framework has really created and really the the refrain over and over and over again had to do with this project specific CEQA requirement that the state licensed framework requires of all um, commercial cannabis businesses in the state of California and we have you know lived the probably the most epic version of how this does not work on an implementation level in particularly, an under-resourced rural jurisdiction such as Mendocino County that had a you know a significant number of operators step forward to be licensed legacy operators, and so I just think it's really you know noteworthy to really track the conversation evolving. Um, there was a term put forward. Uh, From the Department of Cannabis Control, licensing modernization. Um, I think that there are broader conversations happening regarding, you know, a functional licensing system, both from their perspective in terms of implementing um, from our perspective as operators and advocates Um, local government's perspective in terms of, you know, true local land use, local control, um, which is actually, ironically, um, you know, from my earlier statement regarding the challenges with local control and the ability for jurisdictions to ban, in the case of land use regulation, uh, local jurisdictions don't have all the land um, land use regulation tools at at their fingertips um, because of the overriding state licensing requirement for project-specific seeker review. So we'd be really, you know, interested to see how things evolve in the conversations between the Department of Cannabis Control and Mendocino County. Um, We're very engaged in that conversation and have done a a tremendous amount of technical work um, over the past several years in Origins Council, um, particularly with Hannah Nelson and, our CEQA attorney, uh, James Moose, um, regarding the framework. And so cognizant of the timelines, right, with the statutory deadlines for provisional licensing, really appreciate the engagement on the part of um, the department and really curious to see, you know, what kind of um, creative ideas can be put forward to resolve the issue should the state Um, really move forward and decide to take on lead agency role for this project-specific CEQA review for Mendocino County. Um, So lots of considerations there, lots of activity, I think lots of evolutions, but lots of questions, Um, more questions than answers and remaining, you know, concern and underlying stress of the community, having endured this uncertainty now for you know six years and still do not have clarity about what the path forward looks like, but really looking forward to collaborating on solutions. And um, again, really want to echo my earlier statements around the um, collaborative spirit that we see here with local government, state government, industry um, really coming together and the community broadly coming together to really shape what the solution looks like for the community moving forward.
2: Wonderful. Yes. Solutions. I love it. It seems like there are a lot of them percolating in the cannabis environment right now. And that is just so exciting and heartening to hear. Michael, anything you would like to add there?
1: Yeah, I uh, I was fortunate to be able to uh, go out to Sacramento and attend the hearing as well. Shout out to Diana Gamzon from Nevada County for uh hooking me up with a place to crash. Um, and what was really encouraging about the meeting, um, which came you know just a little over a month from when MCA sent our letter to the state, uh, was that, as Jean said, the chorus of understanding about the challenges of CEQA, which as we know is a key challenge here in Mendocino uh, related to our processing, and just the general understanding of the overall problems in the system related to market access as well as licensing. I think many of those folks eyes were open and the chair of the committee uh, said something that I thought was uh, particularly uh, prescient, which was that uh, he felt that in hearing all the testimony, uh, it was clear to him that there had been too much of a focus placed on generating revenue from the cannabis industry and not enough focus placed on economic development related to the cannabis industry. And so I think that that's something that we look at the entire California market and we see that that has been the case, like these exorbitant fees, the tax structure that has existed in Mendocino has been outrageous. I mean, and everywhere else, like we see many other jurisdictions that in light of the realities of this market transition has significantly reduced or eliminated their you know their entitlement type tax schemes and it is it's in relationship to the the realities on the ground so with that state awareness and you know obviously the state engaging locally with the county to see how we can streamline both our local ordinance and the state process uh, it provides a lot of you know, room for for improvement and and hope that the speed at which these solutions will come to the table will match the need, because we do still have this right now, July 1st statutory deadline, and whereas two years ago, there were about 70% of state licensees were provisionals, uh, now about 50% are, uh, but it's still way too many uh, for this circumstance. So that's still going to have to be addressed, and I think that with the Senate understanding all those challenges, and then, you know, beyond that, hearing recently that there is an audit being requested uh, to look into the, you know, potential for corruption uh, in different areas where the local control has led to significant issues with different parts of different cannabis programs. And so, The the state is really paying attention to the struggles on the ground, and we're grateful for that. And we definitely hope to see some significant progress continue here in Mendocino County as a result of that.
2: Wonderful. You have both shared a wealth of information with us today, and I am so grateful for this, and I am sure that our listeners are, too. If folks that are listening to the Cannabis Hour today are interested in finding out more about what we spoke about on the show today, or more about Mendocino Cannabis Alliance or the Origins Council, where can they find that information? Janine, would you like to give uh, the Origins Council contact information first?
0: Sure. Folks can um, learn about our organization, our partnerships, um, the work that we do. We post all of our... Uh, comment letters and our analysis on our website and that is www.originscouncil.org and then folks can reach out to me personally uh, by emailing janine at originscouncil.org and happy to um, really you know discuss things one-on-one with folks and hear from the community it's a really you know community-based effort we work on behalf of the membership and so really appreciate and treasure the outreach when it happens.
2: Wonderful. Thank you, Michael. How can folks find out more about Mendocino Cannabis Alliance or get in touch with you?
1: Sure. Well, we are also on the web at mendocannabis.com. That's M E N D O cannabis.com and on Instagram at Uh, mendo.cannabis. My email is Michael at mendocannabis.com. And so we certainly encourage people to reach out, you know, Origins Council, MCA, these are organizations that are funded by the community and the level of effort and energy that goes into the advocacy that is actually making a difference is enormous. And I know that everyone is struggling. Uh, We really do know that. And the best pathway for us to Improve conditions is for these organizations to be able to be strong and continue fighting and even increase the efforts. Because now that we see that we're able to, you know, really continue to improve conditions on the ground and create these new opportunities, we have to keep pushing. So we encourage folks to check us out, to join the organization. If you're interested in reaching our memberships, we have sponsorship options as well. Um, But this work is complicated, it's uh, time-consuming, and it's very resource-heavy. So please give what you can, uh, because we're out here fighting for you.
2: Thank you so much to both of you, Michael and Janine, for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedules to join us today and to share so much valuable information with our listeners here On the Cannabis Hour. We are so grateful for everything you are doing for this community. I would go so far as to say we would not possibly still be here today if it was not for the two of you and all the other wonderful folks involved in Mendocino Cannabis Alliance and Origins Council who are working so hard to advance and sustain the regulated cannabis economy in Mendocino County. So thank you both very, very much. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in and joining us today. This has been another episode of the Cannabis Hour. If you would like to reach me, you can always do so at kzyxcannabishour at gmail.com. Otherwise, I will be back two weeks from today with another show for you all. So thank you again for tuning in. Stay tuned. Up next, we have portraits in jazz. Have a beautiful day.